Hello, this is Father Neil here and welcome to the March 9th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. And today we'll be looking at numbers 470 through 478 of the Catechism. 4. How is the Son of God man? 470. Because human nature was assumed, not absorbed, in the mysterious union of the Incarnation, The Church was led over the course of centuries to confess the full reality of Christ's human soul with its operations of intellect and will and of his human body. In parallel fashion, she had to recall on each occasion that Christ's human nature belongs to his own, to the divine person of the Son of God who assumed it. Everything that Christ is and does in this nature derives from one of the Trinity. The Son of God therefore communicates to his humanity his own personal mode of existence in the Trinity. In his soul, as in his body, Christ thus expresses humanly the divine ways of the Trinity. The Son of God worked with human hands, he thought with a human mind, he acted with a human will, and with a human heart he loved. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly been made one of us, like us in all things but sin. Christ's soul and his human knowledge. 471. Apollinarius of Laodicea asserted that in Christ the divine word had replaced the soul or spirit. Against this error, the Church confessed that the Eternal Son also assumed a rational human soul. Paragraph 472. This human soul that the Son of God assumed is endowed with a true human knowledge. As such, this knowledge could not in itself be unlimited. It was exercised in the historical conditions of his existence in space and time. That is why the Son of God could when he became man, increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favour with God and man, and would even have to inquire for himself about what one in the human condition can learn only from experience. This corresponded to the reality of his voluntary emptying of himself, taking the form of a slave. 473. But at the same time, This truly human knowledge of God's Son expressed the divine life of his person. The human nature of God's Son, not by itself but by its union with the Word, knew and showed forth in itself everything that pertains to God. Such is, first of all, the case with the intimate and immediate knowledge that the Son of God made man has of his Father. The Son, in his human knowledge, also showed the divine penetration he had had into the secret thoughts of human hearts. 474. By its union to the divine will, in the person of the Word incarnate, Christ enjoyed, in his human knowledge, the fullness of understanding of the eternal plans he had come to reveal. What he had, what he admitted, to not knowing in this area, he elsewhere declared himself not sent to reveal. 
Christ's human will, 475. Similarly, at the Sixth Ecumenical Council, Constantinople III, in 681, the Church confessed that Christ possesses two wills and two natural operations, divine and human. They are not opposed to each other, but cooperate in such a way that the Word made flesh, willed humanly in obedience to his Father, all that he had decided divinely with the Father and the Holy Spirit for our salvation. Christ's human will does not resist or oppose, but rather submits to his divine and almighty will. Christ's true body, 476. Since the word became flesh, it assumed a true humanity. Christ's body was finite. Therefore, the human face of Jesus can be portrayed. At the Seventh Ecumenical Council, the Second Council of Nicaea in 787, the Church recognised its representation in holy images to be legitimate. 477. At the same time, the Church has always acknowledged that in the body of Jesus we recognise in him God made visible, so that we may be caught up through him into the, in, in love of things invisible. The individual characteristics of Christ's body express the divine person of God's Son. He has made the features of his human body his own to the point that they can be venerated when portrayed in a holy image for the believer who venerates the icon is venerating in it the person of the one depicted. The heart of the incarnate word. 478. Jesus knew and loved us each and all during his life, his agony and his passion, and gave himself up for each of us. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. He has loved us all with a human heart. For that reason, the sacred heart of Jesus, pierced by our sins and for our salvation, is quite rightly concerned, considered the chief sign and symbol of that love with which the Divine Redeemer continually loves the Eternal Father and all human beings without exception. So very well, this um, section today continues it continues the, um, the, the, the part from yesterday, looking a little bit more at these different councils that are there, but especially to say that Jesus was really God and really man. I mean, basically, this is, this is what it's saying again and again, that when in the Incarnation, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became man, when, when he became, he, human nature was assumed, not absorbed. It's true that our human nature is basically nothing in comparison to the divine nature. I mean, there's nothing. It's not a 50-50 mix. It's not a mix at all, but it's not a 50-50. And that it would be a billion, billion to one. And not even that. It would be such a, a huge contrast. And yet... This tiny, tiny portion of human nature was not absorbed into Jesus' divinity, but was assumed. And this, is, this uh, taking of human nature is very important. And this is something that is, that is true, that Jesus really worked with human hands, thought with a human mind, acted with a human will, and loved with a human heart. 
he was really born of the Virgin Mary. And this is what we're looking at today. And then it finishes with this interesting section that I know many, a lot of the polemics, a lot of the criticism brought against the Catholic Church by certain Protestant groupings say that the problem with Catholics is that we're worshipping idols, that we shouldn't, have, we shouldn't have images, we shouldn't have pictures, we shouldn't have icons, we shouldn't have statues in our churches, uh, that we should uh, not, not do that. And that they go back to the Old Testament. And it's true, in the Old Testament there is a prohibition from drawing God, from portraying God in a picture or in a statue. And yet the church has always had representations. And the reason it's had these representations, the reason that it's had these images, these, first of all, icons and then statues and then pictures of Jesus, of the Blessed Mother, of the saints, is because precisely Jesus was fully man. His face was a real human face. It was a real man's face. It was a real face. His, uh, and could be drawn. And could be portrayed. And this is why in Christ God has been made visible. And that we're allowed now to, uh, to, to illustrate what he looked like. And the church from the very beginning has had this tradition. There are many traditions of some of the most ancient icons going back to St. Luke. Maybe that's a little bit exaggerated, we don't know, but um, definitely there are icons there from the very beginning. Definitely there are, there are images there from the very beginning. Definitely there has been Christian art basically from day one of the church. And that this has continued in a very good tradition up until today. Unfortunately today the aesthetics that they have, uh, the, the actual art that we have in our churches today, sometimes isn't very holy, sometimes isn't the best quality. But definitely there has been a tradition of real human, real, uh, proper Christian art throughout the centuries and something that, like so many other things in the church, needs to be renewed. Not that it's bad to renew things, not that it's unusual. In every generation we've had to renew something or other and our time is no better nor worse than any other time. And yet there is this invitation that we have to portray Christ to, uh, to, that we can, we, can, we can make images, we can make icons, we can make statues, and that we can venerate Christ through these. It's not that it's true. It's not that we worship a statue. It's not that we worship a cross. It's not that they have any real special presence, although there was a, a huge controversy about it, especially finishing in the end of the 8th century with the Second Council of Nicaea in 787, that, that said, yes, we can do this. We can worship God, we can worship Christ, we can give honour to Mary and the saints through the images. The images are just images and even the most beautiful uh, religious icon, if it happened to be burnt, if it happened to be destroyed, it would be a tragedy, it would be a loss of something beautiful, but it wouldn't be that Christ would be damaged. So it's not that we're worshipping the cross, it's not that we're worshipping the, the icon or the statue or the picture, but that through them we have a certain closeness to the Lord. And then finally, it, it ends up saying that, um, the, talking about this sacred heart, this devotion to the sacred heart, which is so beautiful, that in Christ's human heart, that he loved us all with a human heart, and this sacred heart of Jesus, pierced for our sins and for our salvation, is the chief sign and symbol that his love continues to be given 
to every human being without exception. So now we'll just read the couple of numbers of the in brief at the end of this section. In brief, 479, at the time appointed by God, the only Son of the Father, the eternal Word, that is, the Word and substantial image of the Father, became incarnate without losing his divine nature, he has assumed human nature. 480, Jesus Christ is true God and true man. In the unity of his divine person, for this reason, he is the one and only mediator between God and men. 481. Jesus Christ possesses two natures, one divine and the other human, not confused but united in the one person of God's Son. 482. Christ, being true God and true man, has a, f- a human intellect and will, perfectly attuned and subject to his divine intellect and divine will, which he has in common with the Father and the Holy Spirit. 483. The Incarnation is therefore the mystery of the wonderful union of the divine and human natures in one person of the Word. So very well, that finishes our section for today. And tomorrow we'll continue looking at numbers 484 to 486. God bless.